Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, un- like, the feeling. I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au, or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family, and that will help us grow. Thanks for joining me tonight. I have a fantastic episode. Tonight, I have Attila joining me from Moonlark Media, and Attila is currently filming a documentary about the Australian Yowie called Track. He comes on the show to tell me some of his more hair-raising encounters and how he got involved in the paranormal field. But before we get into that, let's talk about some iTunes five-star ratings and reviews. Each week, I read out a new five-star review, so if you want your review read out, simply jump on iTunes and leave a five-star review, and let me know what you enjoy about the show, and I might just read it out on the next episode. This one's titled Love It, and it comes in from Mark McDonald from Australia. Fantastic local Australian content. Great interview style. Look forward to listening every week. Absolutely love it. Thank you. So thank you for those kind words, Mark. Also, for those who have been asking how to support the show, I have now set up a Patreon for the show. We have two different levels of support, a single dollar pledge and a three dollar pledge that gets you a few goodies each month. And as a little bonus, the first 25 three dollar supporters will get a one of a kind badge as a thank you gift. So if you want to help support the show, you can find links to that in our show notes. And finally, if you want to chat to other listeners of the show, simply jump on Facebook and search for the Believe Paranormal and UFO fan group. But that's enough of me talking. Let's get into Attila's encounters. Tonight, I want to welcome Attila to the show. And Attila is actually making a documentary called Track. And it's all about the Australian Yowie. Attila, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kate. Appreciate it. No, I'm very excited to have you on because you're, I'm going to say you're an expert in the uh, in the paranormal field. Because not only are you on the search for the Yowie, you've had 
a huge amount of experience in paranormal fields with with ghosts, with UFOs. You've kind of you've kind of got a blanket over everything. I don't know about ex- experts, uh, Cade, but I certainly have had uh, my fair share of experiences, mate. Um, but uh, look, you know, um, being involved, um, you know, with the with this whole paranormal. Um, you know, phenomena, I guess, if you want to call it, or the search for uh, or being an observer of the paranormal. You know, I've been doing it for almost 20 years now. Um, and, and when, I guess, when I refer to the paranormal, I mean, above normal, that could mean anything from UFOs to Yowies to, um, you know, spiritual type encounters. Um, yeah, you name it. Um, you know, there's, there's been quite a, a plethora of, of experiences over the years. And I think I have a lot to thank uh, for the people that I've been working with and especially with my family um, and also uh, the, the content that we've been filming over the years. You know, I think that's also been a major draw card for these experiences. What got you into the paranormal, Attila? Hey, look, it's, um, it, it's quite a complex story. Um, I was a, a very little kid when I um, first had my very first paranormal experience. And when I say first, it's the one that I, I believe to be the earliest because I'm pretty sure I've had experiences before that, but, uh, you know, my man- memory obviously um, this has been clouded <laughs> by something. Um, going back as far as, I guess, being the age of six, I, I remember we were leasing this old uh, old, old house in, in Bathurst on a battle axe block. I, I remember it distinctly, you know, had a big tree in the back, and the back room was, was my bedroom, and... Um, and uh, one one day I was, I was quite ill and I was obviously at home from school and there was a particular part of the room that had very little light. Um, and I mean, my room didn't get much light because I had a big tree at the back. But I remember actually feeling very, very uneasy and this darker part of the room just kept on getting darker and darker. And I remember this old, lady and an old man coming out of the the dark sort of corner of the room and they they would walk up to me and I was so horrified that I was frozen and um and they just basically walked out walked into the into the hallway and I I believe this happened to me quite a few times um and yeah that was I believe my very first encounter with the paranormal i don't think i had anything until we moved to europe um and we actually bought a an old house that was uh, built by a jewish couple in the 1920s and i spent uh, about four years in europe when i was a young kid and that house had its own story and and it obviously presented itself on a number of occasions what do you think the those apparitions were that when you're when you're a child i look the way I remember it is they were dressed in um, in clothing that obviously was from a different time. Um, I really don't know, to be honest. That could have been the former owners. And I remember seeing them quite clearly. Um, and I remember being horrified and telling my parents, you know, what I've seen. They obviously didn't believe me at the time. But I really don't know what they were. Um, one thing I do believe, though, that happened is that we all of a sudden packed up and left one day um, and moved into a unit um, and I believe that these people, whoever they were made themselves known to my parents but my parents being from, from Central Europe, you know, they were very superstitious and, you know, anything like that, you know, they they would have, you know, 
um, kept it to themselves and not told anyone, even their own son. So um, that's why they refused to believe my story. Have you ever brought that up with them since? They're no longer with us. Uh, my mother passed in 2000 and my father in uh, about 2004. So I didn't have a chance to uh, to bring it up. But if they were still around, I definitely would be quizzing them. There's no doubt about that. And with those first that first experience, did that open your mind to, to I guess, more paranormal events? Or was that something that you started to become more aware of? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, look, it is possible because it's, when you're a kid and you start to think back as an adult, um, you, you do question yourself quite frequently. Did I really see this or was this my imagination? Um, but I know when I think about that one event, it, it, uh, it, it seems to, it's almost like having this feeling in the pit of your stomach that you know it was real, it actually happened. It's quite possible, but I, I honestly believe that I did have previous experiences. It's just that I don't remember them. And that's, that's, that's what, that's what's puzzling and, and, um, and bugging me a lot. Um, but I do believe that, that it, it actually was a catalyst. Uh, to, to what was about to happen throughout my life. Because we've had a handful of um, paranormal investigators on this show, and they usually say that they, there's a there's a one event that kind of happens and it almost opens the spectrum where they can, well, I guess they're, they're a little bit more sensitive to, to paranormal events. So um, a lot of psychics who, who've come on this show say that once they, they open their mind that little bit more, they have a lot more contact with, with spirits from um, other realms and, and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I just saw the world completely differently after that encounter. Um, you know, I, I think I, I looked at our reality in a completely different way and I think maybe that has a lot to do with... with um, being a little bit more observant and, and uh, being able to pick up on the smallest signs and and things that other people may not necessarily pick up on. So let's fast forward a couple of years. How did you get into the topic of the Yowie? <laughs> well, that was uh, quite an interesting story. Um, I I was actually involved in the um, in the creation of, of a UFO society back in 2000 uh, with, with a colleague of mine at the time. And uh, uh, around 2001, there was a massive UFO flap around the Sydney area. And uh, there was also a, a lot of uh, reports originating from the mountains, the Blue Mountains region. So- we get so many people contacting us about UFO sightings in the 2000s around the uh, the Blue Mountains. That's correct. Um, it was it was quite a significant time, uh, especially 2001, because that's when I actually got to see, have my, I guess, one of my most profound experiences, but that was over in the Northern Beaches. But the whole Yowie thing basically came upon, it was a, it was a very subtle encounter. In fact, a group of people who, was, who were a member of the society at the time went on this, I guess it's called an expedition to the very edge of, of Narrow Neck. And, um, and we decided to camp there overnight or actually a few nights. And at one point in time, just after sunset, you know, we split up in two groups and there was a fellow and a lady, um, who decided to stay back at base camp. And, uh, we ventured over to the other side of, of this plateau and had a sort of a, a wonderful sort of uh, view of the Megalong Valley. But after a while, we decided to venture back because we didn't want to leave these guys alone just in case, you know, there was something 
going on and, and we wouldn't hear it. Um, and we found them that they were in their tents and uh, we started quizzing, well, guys, what's going on? You know, how come you're in your tents? They didn't want to come out. And basically what they told us is that they heard this horrific scream, but it was very loud and, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely puzzled as to how we didn't hear this. And then apparently that scream was followed by what sounded like a tree being ripped out of the ground. So I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk up beyond the camp a little bit and just sort of stand there and just listen. And that's what I did. And about a few seconds into my sort of solitary observation in pitch black, this rock got thrown at me. Now, when I say a rock, it was probably the size of, you know, of a 10-cent coin, but it actually hit me in the chest. And there was no overhang, no nothing. And I thought to myself, yep, okay, we're not alone. <laughs> so, wow. Um, I, didn't, I decided to sort of go back um, to base camp and told the guys, look, you know, we, we, there's something out here, you know. But I knew very little about, I mean, I knew about Bigfoot because, look, when I was a kid, I loved watching documentaries about Bigfoot and everything else. But I didn't sort of get into, I guess, the, the apparent culture and their behavior and territories and all that kind of stuff until later on until I had a, a, a much more, I guess, intense experience. And that wasn't until, I guess, 2006, um, when, again, we were on another expedition on a different side of the mountains. And um, one night, you know, uh, we were basically sitting off the edge of the cliff just observing uh, the Baragrang Valley up there at the Blue Mountains looking for signs of aerial phenomena. And this couple comes out who are part of the group, and they said, look, you know, we heard this really horrible screaming sound. It sounded like a woman being tortured. Now, to give you an idea, we were in a very isolated area and it was this was in September. So at that particular time, it was quite fresh at night. And then we started discussing this and this large rock, and it was probably the size of, almost the size of, let's say, a soccer ball, landed right between us, almost hitting one of the crew members. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and again, there was no overhang, so we were on the highest point there. So there was no way where a rock could have got dislodged. This thing was actually thrown because it, as it hit the ground, it shattered. So we're all standing up, looking around, and, and obviously trying to find out what the hell's going on here. Uh, we were up quite late because we weren't comfortable going back into our tents because if you're in a tent and a rock like that gets thrown at you and hits you in the head, well, it's all over. Yeah, you're done for. So the following day, basically what we did is the, the ladies decided to stay back at base camp and they were virtually on the edge of this cliff, which was about a 20 or 30 meter vertical drop, while the guys uh, decided to sort of go in, this, go into the scrub and see if we could find signs of what was stirring there at night because we, we kind of had a suspicion that there was there must have been something here like a Bigfoot or a Yowie or whatever we want to call them. And obviously at one point in time, we had this wet dog smell as well at one night. So we thought, right, we've got to, let's investigate the area, see if we can find any signs. And we were in walkie-talkie range with the base camp. And then we get this distress call coming from the ladies and they're saying that a rock, another rock got thrown at them. But this time it wasn't behind them. It came from underneath. So from down the bottom of the cliff. And this rock was probably the size of a, of a tennis ball and it got thrown up something 20 or 30 metres and almost hit these ladies. So we decided to go back to base camp and from there on up until 5 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, that's when it started getting dark, we were debating whether or not we're going to spend another night there because it was now getting dangerous. So right in the final hour, just at sunset, we said, that's it, we're packing up, we're going we're to hit the tracks. 
And that's what we did. So we packed up our back, uh, our, our tents and backpacks full and we decided to hike through the, the fern forest. And it was quite dense. I mean, this is, yeah, this is off the beaten track. So, you know, the, the hike out of there to where, um, we were dropped off, which was basically like a, like a small parking area, but it's still dirt road. It's about 20 kilometers in from, from Benjamin Road. That, that hike was still about, about 40 minutes to an hour away. So we decided to, pack up, lights on, headlamps on, and just march through, you know, the wilderness there, through the scrub, through the uh, through the fern forest. And we're marching through these. Was, I mean, I can still remember that the, the trees there were massive. I mean, I think they're blue gums. But what actually caught our attention, that was something was pursuing us. But it was running. It wasn't running. It was basically moving with us. But this was, okay, this was like, a bulldozer going through the bloody forest, mate. It, whatever it was, it was massive and it was keeping pace with us. And uh, it came to a point where we decided to sort of speed up the process. One of the guys actually, I think it was an anxiety attack, and she she decided, I mean, we had to stop because she became immobile because of fear. Um, and then we ended up sort of, I don't know how the hell we got ourselves out of there, but we ended up dragging ourselves out. But these things were hitting the, the trees, the, the classical wood knots that were going on. It was basically being herded out. That's the only way I can describe it. Far out. That's terrifying. Um, oh, it was. It was It was probably one of the most terrifying experiences I've had out in the scrub. And to be honest, there came a point where you think, am I going to make it out of here in one piece? How are we going to make it out of here alive? Um, and eventually we did end up getting onto the, the dirt road and um, – and these things just basically walked back into the forest after we got to that area, that clearing. Um, and we, we, we basically spent the next two hours trying to find a mobile phone signal to, to ring up one of the, um, one of the lady's husbands who was a lovely gentleman. And uh, he lived about an hour, or, an hour or two hours away from there. And we rang him up and told him what happened. And he was there, uh, quick smart to pick us up and take us away. So that was quite a horrifying experience. And I think that really sort of, um, started my interest, not an interest to pursue it, but an interest nonetheless. Um, and that obviously gradually grew into this, this, this absolute fascination that I have to almost point of obsession for, you know, to try to be an observer of, of the Australian Bigfoot, the, the Yowie. So after that absolutely terrifying encounter, was there absolutely zero doubt in your mind that this is a real creature? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It had to be something, Kate. I mean, there is no way in hell that even uh, a, a large human would have been able to do that. I mean, this thing was, whatever it was, it was more than one, mind you. These were walking through the forest unhindered. It was like it was like a bulldozer going through a forest, just clearing, clearing the path for itself. There was hardly any obstacles. And these things, and no matter which way we panned our lights, we could not see them. Um, but mind you, they kept their distance from us, but it was loud and clear what, what they were doing. And there was no doubt in our minds that we were faced with something that I would refer to as a forest giant. I mean, you know, you, you hear these stories about legendary creatures in, in Scandinavia about trolls and the like. And, and, you know, I mean, are these, you know, basically the same thing? Are we dealing with, you know, Bigfoot or Yowies that, that are the same? I mean, this must have been huge to, to do what they did. Do you think you wandered into their territory? Because they sound incredibly hostile. I think we did. Um, this is an area that was off the beaten track. So you, you wouldn't have had many visitors there at all. 
uh, if any. Um, mind you, the the location there was was was, was quite a uh, a beautiful spot, and, and probably has one of the best views there of the Baragrang. Um, but um, I honestly believe that it's quite possible that we 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 um, you know we walked into a territory where we weren't supposed to. But then again, you know, I mean, there could have been road signs there that I recognise today that I wouldn't have recognised back then. But we just didn't see them or we didn't recognise them, like I said. And what's some of those signs? Because obviously you're you're much more, I guess, travelled in the sense of, of Yowie exploration. Mm. Do you mind kind of telling some of those signs that you think you may have missed? Look, Kate, fairly recently... Um, We've, we've actually bumped into quite a few of these signs, to be honest, and some other things as well, which, which, uh, will be in the documentary. But the simple things that people actually pick up on, and even the natives talk about that, uh, when I'm talking about natives, I'm talking about Native American people and the indigenous people in Australia. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And they seem to be referring to very similar um, signposts or road signs, if you like, um, trees that are basically, you know, ripped out or snapped about a quarter of the way up and placed on top of each other, um, and some really elaborate structures that are placed together. Um, and you know, if if you're not if you're not familiar with these things, I mean, you could be hiking in the wilderness and not even pick it up. You would just think you just basically walk past it and not recognise it. Um, and it's quite possible that these signs would have been there, um, almost like arrows and signposts and, and, like I said, elaborate, you know, formations, the way tree trunks uh, are placed and sticks are placed. And uh, you can tell now that where trees, healthy trees, are, are being snapped quarter of the way up and placed on top of each other. Um, it's, it's, it's quite interesting and, and fascinating some of the things that we've recently picked up on. And I think that these are the things that I missed back in the day. It's absolutely fascinating. We have an interesting country. <laughs> the, 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 the wilderness, I mean, look, Kate, uh, people who say that they're bored, is, is, I just can't fathom that because there is so much there for us to even discover. You know, um, there's so much more out there than meets the eye. And we can spend most of our lives you know, living in the noise of society and not recognize what's really going on in the background. And I think there are a few people out there who are now starting to recognize that there are more things out there than what we're being told. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, Mm, we're we're seeing now that we're we're getting what almost seems to be UFO disclosure in, in the, in the mass media. It's no longer a thing that is kind of shunned in, in the public. It's, it's really coming to, to open light. And that kind of brings me to my next question for you there is, do you think the, the government knows about the Yowie or the Bigfoot? My gut instinct and some of the stories that I've heard um, makes me believe that that is the case. Um, there are there are a lot of theories out there as to why this is. 
Um, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm obviously very interested in in these theories, and some of them sound quite legit to me. Um, and one of the things is that obviously, if if you know, um, if the government decides to disclose the fact that we have ten foot tall giants, you know, ruling the national parks, um, that can have a, a fairly hard economic impact on our society. Um, you would get people who have properties that back onto national parks would want to move. Um, you wouldn't want people, people would just wouldn't want to go camping in the, in the parks anymore. So you're looking at, at, at an effect on tourism as well as, as, as things like the fisheries industry, the camping industry, the forward drive industry. So you would have a snowball effect. And I think that the economy would be affected quite heavily if there was disclosure that these, uh, these creatures, um, or these life forms do exist. Um, so I think there is there's much more to it than what meets the eye, and and there's a lot of theories out there that can actually happen. And look, I think that it's quite a valid uh, valid argument. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've never actually thought of it from from that point of view, but I mean, it it almost gives credence to the to it of keeping it silent, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, it's all it's like the Orson Welles. Uh, production of, of War of the Worlds. I mean, the effect that that had on the people when that got aired, and I think it was in the 1920s. I mean, people went out with shotguns and started shooting one another, and it was an absolute mayhem because people thought that we were being attacked by aliens from Mars. So obviously, we've grown a lot since then, but nonetheless, you know, there are people out there that would still cause, you know, panic, and and one thing can lead to another. You could get people coming out there with guns and trying to hunt these animals down. I mean, you just don't know the two. At to what extent uh, this impact would go. It's, um, and I think uh, what the government's trying to do, and if they are doing this, um, is uh, is to keep it under wraps for, for good reasons, and um, I don't blame them for that. Yeah, no, that's that's an absolutely fair point, and it's, and it's a great point of view. So uh, thanks for actually raising that. Have you had any other encounters that were maybe as aggressive as the, the one that you originally had? Uh, yeah, we encountered. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, we there was another encounter that we had back in 2013. Uh, we also had one over at the Pilligers, which was another story altogether. But um, uh, we were in the Blue Mountains again, and um, uh, I was there with a with, with a small group of friends, including my daughter, and. Um, it was quite an interesting night because we were there, I think it was around April 2013, so it was getting cold. And it, these, these encounters generally, the way I've observed it over the years, they generally happen during the colder months. And a lot of the guys will actually tell you that too, that um, a lot of the encounters actually seem to be concentrated around the colder months. So we went to an area that, again, it was off the beaten track. And um, essentially what was going on is that we could hear heavy footsteps coming from all directions uh, from within the actual forest, within the thickets. And um, obviously it alerted us and we, we're looking everywhere. And I had a video camera with me, so here I am panning left to right. And the frustration is that it, it feels like that somebody is or something is upon you right there in front of you, yet you're not seeing anything. And, and, and it just completely puzzled us to how this is actually possible because it just sounds like it. I mean, maybe the acoustics are as such in the forest that the noise travels in such a way that it makes you believe that something large is right next to you. 
And then effectively what happened afterwards is, is, is we picked up this growl. It was a, a very low pitch guttural growl. And, um, and that's when we thought this is it. We're, we're about to have our encounter. Um, and, and the guys that were with me were getting very uneasy. And I said, look, this is what we're here for. Let's just let it happen organically. Let's just have it happen naturally because this is what's happening. This is what we're here for. And it didn't come to that funny enough. And what had actually happened was the wind picked up. And as the wind picked up, the movement started happening. As the wind died down, there was no movement whatsoever. So after a while, things got very, very quiet. And we started getting very, very comfortable. And then it wasn't until the wind started picking up, uh, all of a sudden these branches and rocks got thrown over our heads, just like, they were basically projectiles like missiles. But they weren't hitting us. They were going past us. And I believe that was a warning sign at the time for us to leave the area. But obviously we're at awe at this and we're thinking, okay, well, you know, it's starting again. Let's just sit and wait and see what happens. And again, uh, what actually happened was a large rock basically landed, I think, about a meter from where I was sitting. And that was the time when we thought, okay, now this is getting too real. We need to get up and leave because the next rock might actually physically hit us. And we won't be able to get out of here in one piece. So as we, as we, uh, collecting our equipment and everything else, we're walking out. And, uh, as we're doing this, smaller rocks get thrown at us. So obviously we're being encouraged to hurry up. So we're hiking down. We got to the track. And as we're walking, we decide to stop and, and obviously look in towards the thickets with our, uh, with our torches. And then what happened next was, was, was quite incredible. Whatever this thing was, it was very heavy. It was pounding the ground with extreme force, with such force that you can actually feel the ground vibrate under your feet. And it was oh, throwing wow. debris in the air. So it's almost like, you know, a, um, uh, it's almost like something that a, a silverback gorilla would do to warn people who are intruding in their territory yeah. to, to get up and leave. So this wasn't, uh, this was an act of aggression. This was a display telling us, leave now or I will get angry or I will get aggressive. And that's basically code what we heard. It was something, something the ground, hitting the ground with great force and throwing leaves and debris in the air and the occasional grunt that got, you know, obviously emitted from that, which wasn't very loud, but we could hear it. So that was it. We were out of there and we were followed from the top end and then from the lower end as well. So we were basically escorted out. And it's not uncommon for that to happen. And that was, I guess, another, yeah, really? that was another aggressive encounter that we had. But I, I look, uh, when I say aggressive, I, I don't think that this was an intentional aggression. I think that we, we outstayed our welcome and because we didn't leave, they basically encouraged us with a little bit of persuasion to get out of there. Have you ever pushed that limit? Look, out of respect, um, I haven't. Um, it's a fine line. It really is because you want to push the limit as a journalist, um, as, as a filmmaker, you want to push the limit because you want to see what's on the other side of the hill, right? As a figure of speech. Um, and you just want to keep pushing yourself. But at the same time, where do you draw the line? You know, when does it become unethical or indecent? Um, because I, I solely believe that we are dealing with, with real life forms here these 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 creatures have been here i honestly believe have been here far longer than than humans um and i also do know that um, a lot of the the uh, indigenous tribes 
will talk to you and tell you that there was a time when they did live side by side. They had the Yowies or the Bigfoot had their own designated territories and the tribes had their own and there was a, 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 an unwritten contract that they wouldn't um, encroach on each other's boundary. Um, and as Europeans came in, that treaty obviously got violated. And, um, and obviously, by doing that, um, we are causing these creatures to do what they're doing. It's fair enough. And, I mean, you also have to look after your safety in those scenarios because at the end of the day, content is content, but it means nothing if you're not getting out of there with it. Yeah, then it becomes a lost state story, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's the other thing because when you are with other people, you, 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 it's not just your own safety that you've got to think about. You've got to think about everybody else's safety. And when you have large rocks being thrown within close proximity to you, um, that is uh, a death set sign for you to get out of there now because the next one will probably hit you or hit somebody else. Um, and and considering the size and the force that these things were thrown, um, one hit would, would take a person out very easily, no doubt whatsoever. Now, just before we wrap up tonight there, Attila, have you seen one of these things in the flesh? Not face-to-face. I have seen large shadows. Um, we have... One of the one of the ones that I I I actually saw was back in earlier, probably about two thousand and three, which is again was up in the Blue Mountains, and I was walking back to the car after a night watch, and the rest of the crew were sort of sitting there, just sort of observing. Well, I, well, I want to go back to the vehicle to get something from the car, um, and as I was walking back, um, I did see this large human shadow standing there. I mean, it was it was massive, um, but when I say human, it had this had a form of a, an upright human being. It was anthropomorphic. So, um, and that's when I sort of stopped and went back and told the guys that there's something out here. Um, and obviously when I got back, it was already gone. Uh, the other one that I saw was a, a massive, uh, again, anthropomorphic creature, uh, you know, up two-legged, upright, walking across the road over near the Pilligas, a uh, dirt road. So that's about as, as far as I've ever have ever come across of actually seeing one. I haven't actually seen one face-to-face, not yet anyway, but I do know people who have. And I just have one final question for you. Mm. What do you think Bigfoot is? <laughs> yeah, that is a million-dollar question. Funny enough, that's a question that I ask people when I interview them for, for the documentary. What do we think that Bigfoot is? Um, if I had to guess, I would guess that even though they look very human-like, or I, I guess a, a composition between a human being and a great ape, I do believe that they are a species on themselves. I, I honestly do believe that that we're. It's quite possible. It is easy to mistake, you know, uh, or, or for us to actually. I wouldn't say mistake, but for us actually, for us to try to, you know, categorize or reference these these. Uh, creatures to something that we know today and that happens to be either an ape or a human being. So that's where I guess a lot of people believe that um, that could be, you know, some form of, you know, species of, of our evolution or uh, that could have evolved completely independently. I honestly believe that there are species on their own and um, there are some quite interesting stories and, and theories from, from people who have actually spent a lot of time, in fact, most of their lives researching this um, as to what they believe it is. Um, but yeah, I honestly believe that there are species on their own as to why. So I think that um, it's, it's, it's unidentified. We, I don't think there's anything quite like them apart from 
what other people have, have witnessed and observed throughout the world, like over in, in the States, the Sasquatch and Bigfoot and the Skunk Ape and Garang Pandek and other uh, creatures that people have uh, seen, like the Yeti, I think that they are species within themselves, but quite diverse at the same time. And do you give much credence to the, I guess, the the thought process that it might be something that is paranormal? Because we have had a fair few people get in contact with us where they've said they've seen this creature, this the the Yowie, the Bigfoot, walk right in front of them and then literally just fade away. Mm. Um, it's funny enough because I've I've heard of people talk about this, and when I say people, I'm talking about people who uh, who, who come from a tribal community, and they will tell you that that these creatures are highly spiritual. And by that, they don't mean that they sit on top of a rock and meditate. Um, I think that the that they have the capabilities of, of masking themselves. And I think that they're so connected with the environment. Um, you know, I think that the only thing that I could sort of compare that to uh, would be sh- uh, shamans or shapeshifters, if you like, um, from, from tribal communities. And I think that they're so in tune with themselves and with the environment that they're capable of of achieving that heightened, uh, heightened, high level of consciousness, if you wish, that you know um, that they're capable of, of doing things that we can only, you know, we only see in in, um, in movies and, and and you know fantasy novels or reading fantasy novels. And that's and it's fair enough because at the end of the day, no one really knows what these creatures are. Absolutely, and it, they could just have some sort of advanced camouflage techniques that. They've they've obviously I think that it's a it's something that they've I guess evolved into mm. and they've they've been in this this form that they have forever. I mean, you look at humans and we we've, we've really only been I guess evolved through technology. Where this this creatures have only evolved through through nature. So with that, you have a look at how much we rely on technology to do what we do mm. these days. And you know, you look into the future that will probably become almost one with technology. Whereas a Yowie or a Bigfoot, their their technology is is the wilderness. That is right. So it goes hand in hand to go, hmm, maybe this thing is just connected to nature in a in a way that will be connected to technology. It seems to make perfect sense, Kate. It really does, because um, I think that, you know, with with uh, when when you talk to people from from tribal communities, um, even doesn't matter if it's from Australia or, or from, from anywhere in the world, um, that will tell you things that, that, you know, that I believe that we as a society lost thousands of years ago because of the progression of, of, uh, of technology and, and the, the way I think that we have lost our way when it comes to you know, this whole connection with, 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 with the earth, with nature. And I'm not trying to be a, a weed-smoking hippie here. I'm just, you know, I think... <laughs> when you spend enough time out in the wilderness and spend enough time talking to to people around the world and, and those people who are who come from tribal communities, it, 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 it you sit down and you think, well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that really makes a lot of sense. But mate, as you say, you know, you know, it's still a theory. You know, I mean, we can we can. This is a topic that you can argue all day and all night. But at the end of the day, we really don't know what we're dealing with. We can only guess, and I think. We need to start asking the right questions um, and maybe one day we'll get the right answers. Well, Attila, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You've been absolutely fantastic. The encounters that you've had are absolutely amazing. And 
just before we wrap up, do you mind telling the people where they can find some of the um, the documentaries that you've produced? Sure. Um, okay, look, uh, probably Amazon Prime is, is probably the best platform to, to find um, some of our recent work. Um, so we've, we've got uh, there's a production or a documentary that we shot over in Europe and uh, we actually went to, uh, to the Ukraine and uh, shot over in Chernobyl. And then we went to uh, uh, to Central Europe in Slovakia. We filmed over there in a in a in a castle that was owned by Elizabeth Bartery, uh, who was known to be the the female Dracula of her time. I mean, that's another story altogether. But um, so yeah, we actually visited a lot of these uh, historical places over there. And that documentary is called Ghosts of Europe, and that's on Amazon Prime. And we also have a series called Paranormal Investigators Uncut, which is more of a a journalistic view of the uh, of the paranormal community in Australia, um, and uh, you know people who have had experiences and who wanted to basically talk about their experiences and their theories and, and what they do and how they pursue the the unexplained. So there are two, and there's also we've also got some content on a uh, on a yeah, Canadian uh, site which is known as Very Paranormal. So. Uh, we've got a few things on there. Some of our older content is on there. So, yeah, um, but primarily Amazon Prime at the moment. That's where we've got most of our content. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe, and you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.